appreciate that. I've got a couple things I wanted to share. First of all, I'm glad that you're here. Glad we have this opportunity to worship our Lord and, and to sing songs that would praise and lift up his name. These two things I wanted to share real quick. Uh, you talk about not seeing things right in front of your eyes. For whatever it was, um, I was thinking this um, person that was writing to us was writing to someone. It was actually his address. I don't know why. This is an inmate. Um, we've, we've, I don't know how many thousands of men and women we've come into contact over the last six, seven years at the jail. But apparently this person is in a state prison and has been sending checks recently for us to put in the collection plate. $5 a check each time. I just find that absolutely amazing. And I don't know if this is someone that we've baptized. I mean, we have so many people that we've come to contact. I don't know this name here. But if you know who Paul, I mean, Kenneth Paul Colvett is, come see me and talk to me because he's been sending a number of these checks recently. Um, the second thing, this morning I was given a letter from another um, inmate that the men on Tuesdays go to max security at the county jail and it's Vernon B. You guys, I've been mentioning him um, recently. Well, he wrote a letter, and I want to share this letter. Just, I just got it this morning before this service. I hope this letter finds you all doing okay, and I most certainly hope you receive it in the spirit that it is written. It's written in sincerity and thanks for your service and devotion for God's people who need knowledge in areas of life that will better them. I truly miss you guys, and my heart longs to fellowship with you all. I must admit that in the short time that we spent together, I felt a closeness that I cannot explain, but I will continue in prayer as I hope that you will also and the saints, that someday soon we will all praise and worship together in spirit and truth. The drug court denied me, reason being that they felt like I'm more of a dealer than a user. I wish they could simply see that I'm a sinner. The drug court recommended through community corrections, which is a strict version of probation. And my lawyer, who is, um, and he gives a name, is getting off my case because I'm no longer able to pay him. So pray that I'm blessed with a good public defender that's of the faith. I, want to, I won't trouble you any longer, but please give all my love to all the brethren. Continue in faith and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As some of you know, Vernon asked me to give a little bit of his bio that's published on the Internet. Um, but this is, I think, his third conviction. And because of that, I think that the court system is, is being a lot tougher on his situation. But pray for Vernon. As Jimmy knows, um, Don knows him personally, Ted, um, Michael Collins, I think you've met Vernon as well. A number of brethren have, have met Vernon. He wants to do the Lord's will. And, and if he gets out, his desire, as his words to me, is to come to Franklin because he has really been encouraged by... Um, the men that he's come to know at the church here. So pray for him in that regard. Um, and the last thing is that Julie and Levi and Dane, they're all homesick. So I don't know if it's a virus, a bug going around, or if we had some kind of food, something or other uh, recently, but keep them in your prayers as well. <coughs> so you notice over the last few months, we've had sermons that have been pretty much heavy hitting. Um, and I tried to have a break uh, just because it, it can be so sobering that we need uh, to change pace. And so um, we did that for a few weeks, and I want to deal with one more heavy-hitting thing before we kind of take back a um, different line of thoughts. And so we're dealing with secret sins. 
And by all means, the subject matter this morning is on pornography, but it doesn't, it's not limited to pornography as far as the totality of secret sins. It could be adultery, right? It could be a drug addiction. It could be infidelity in, in uh, other ways. Um, just our behavior that we keep secret and everyone else looks at us and we think we're just doing so well. We're living well for God, but our walk is not. And no one knows about it because it's a secret. And so that's kind of what I'm focusing on. But because of this, down the road, I'll get some other sermons that'll be secret sins type sermons. Um, but I wanted to deal with pornography. And, and I want to start by adding caveats. And I typically don't do caveats anymore. I've stopped about 10, 15 years ago because otherwise most of the sermon is caveats, seems like. But today I wanted to share it because of the subject matter. And what I wanted to, first of all, be very clear is I'll be very general and very discreet with my words because we have children present. There are things that I would like to actually address that I will not address on the subject of pornography if we were just only adults. But that said, because of children being present, we want to be discreet about it. And the other thing is this. One thing I've come to learn, and I've done this through research that seemed, it seemed like there was different numbers. I look at research on pornography, and I, this group says one thing, and this group says something very, very different. And so I wanted to address this. There's a difference between pornography and what I'm referring to as sexual scenes. And I think um, in the Christian community, if I can use that word loosely, the idea of pornography is actually broader than the actual term pornography. And it's as a result that it affects and skews these statistics that um, I'm going to be referring to. And with that in mind, it also plays another aspect that I think is very telling. Because when you deal with it from a human standpoint, non-Christian standpoint, the idea of pornography is not that big a deal in our society that we live in. It was like in the first century, it was not that big a deal. It's a big deal to us. It's shocking for us, right, when we're talking about these things. But as a result, it then spills over into the mental health area of discussion, and so from that standpoint, when you have people who are engaged in uh, pornography in the world, it's not affecting them as greatly. And I'm not saying this um, in that it doesn't affect people outside the world. It does. But I'm talking statistically. Generally speaking, it affects those who profess to be Christians much more. Those who profess to be religious people dependent, uh, independent on faith. More so than the world that says, I just want to do what I want to do. And as a result of that, some of the things that we'll be talking about this morning is in light of these differences. Okay, so I want to share that with you. And the last thing I want to say, and this is one that I want as the biggest takeaway of this morning's sermon. That because of these statistics, if the statistics are true, then there's pornography being viewed by us in this room. That, I mean, if statistically, it would have to make, be the case. And it's not limited to just those who we think are weak in the faith. It can be the preacher. It can be elders. It can be deacons. It can be Bible class teachers. It can be those who are upstanding men and women in the community. It can be our children. So it's not limited to any one group. And I want to say this to you. If you are engaged in pornography... 
know that while it is still sin, we have hope in Christ. And I want that hope to bless your life, to help you as a believer to walk with God and to be filled with his spirit. It is not the end all. And I share that on the front side because I don't want to forget it in the middle of the sermon. I share it on the front side because there are those who are Christians, those who are professed believers in Jesus Christ, who are leaving the faith because the church has viewed it so sinful that they feel like they can never come back from it. And they just leave the faith altogether. And sometimes as husbands or wives, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we may not give a brother or a sister in Christ that moment of hope that they need to get past this. It's simply a stop it, you're sinning, you're doing that which is wrong, and, and then we never give them the side of hope that is so needed, especially if it's an addiction. So I wanted to say that from the outset, and that's the reason why I have Romans chapter 7. For those of you that don't know this text in Romans chapter 7, Verses 14 following, it's you love God, you hate sin, but you sin. That's, that's the war. That's what we're all striving to deal with on this side of eternity. So I wanted to say that on the front side. Let's start off with this book. There's a book. I've not read the book. I just was in, in my search for the subject matter, came across it, and I would love to be able to read it. it it's dealing with the image of God in an image-driven age. Because as I was thinking about the sermon, I'm thinking, you know, the idea of the word pornography is very different than the actual view that we have of pornography today. All right? So the word pornography, just real quick, it's taking two words. One is the word prostitute, of which the Greek word is porne, and the other word is what we get the word graphene, or to write. So it's things that are written about prostitutes. That's the word pornography. But today, we don't think of pornography that way. We are an image-driven society. So what we think of is our images, right? And I'll just leave it at that. And so in the book, uh, at least on the abstract written on various websites for this book, it says this, and I thought it was very telling. Whether on the printed page, the television screen, or the digital app, we live in a world, and I'm talking about our world here, let alone other industrialized nations. We live in a world saturated with images, right? Case in point, children, help me out. Well, and I don't know if children would get it so much as the, the older ones because I don't know if anyone, but I'm going to make one image. What restaurant is that? Everybody knows. We're image-driven. We, you know, I think uh, David... Wins and I was just doing the whole thing with Target, right? The whole the bullet, uh, that Target thing. And so what we have are just image-driven society. And says, here's what it says that I think is very, very keen. Some images help shape our understandings of ourselves and the world around us in a positive way or in positive ways. That's true. Images can do that. Just imagine one image and you look at it like you see the image of a cross, there's a whole lot of, I mean, image is worth a thousand words. There's just a whole lot of background to that. It's a double-edged sword, though. Images that can be for good can also lead us astray. And so while others lead us astray and distort our relationships, and that's the idea of our modern use of the word pornography. 
That's what happens here. I want you to see the power of pornography. And this is from Barna, and I think it's called Covenant Eyes. It's Barna and Covenant, I know for sure. Um, Barna is a research um, organization, and they teamed up with another research organization, and they came up with these numbers. And, and so for, for lack of a better term, Barna, they'll go off various denominations, and, and they're looking at what's known as the Protestant or Evangelical Church of more conservative minds. And so these are individuals that go to church twice a week. They, they put money in the plate. And so that's how they define conservative uh, evangelicals today. This is their numbers, right? 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Now, remember the statistics because there's other statistics that are a lot lower than this that are non-Christian statistics, if you will. And the reason I'm saying is there's a big difference of how the view of pornography is from a quote-unquote Christian vantage point versus a quote-unquote world, uh, worldview stand, um, standpoint. But anyway, this is the statistics that they came up with. Of young Christian adults from 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. I'm going to be very transparent with you. Doing research for a sermon, I'm searching for porn. So I'm just making it very clear. Julie is with me. Never saw a single porn site, by the way. Just let you know. But in, in doing research for this, um, I wanted to know. I said, Julie, because I remember 15 years ago giving um, a sermon about pornography. And I remember at that time... A little more than 15 years ago, I typed in, I'll tell you what I typed in, whitehouse.com. Now, those of you who are parents realize whitehouse.com, you're doing research for your children about the White House. Different White House. And that's when we learned, oh my goodness, there's a lot of things that are out there. And, of course, since then, all the filters and what have you, I think our government has done a great job cracking down on these things where now to get pornogra uh, pornography on the computer now, you have to have a virus, basically, or some kind of virus-like program on your site. If you um, go to a specific site, you'd have to pay, my understanding is. So you should not be able to see anything unless it comes. Again, if your view of the word pornography is well beyond the scope of the actual definition of pornography, well, all you have to do is turn on the TV, open a book, commercials, and now you get what we refer to as pornography. See, there's a difference between the actual definition and what we view as something as pornographic. So this is where this is coming from, that latter standpoint where it's a lot broader uh, view of pornography. 87% of Christian women have watched porn at some point in their life. 87%. If we have 100 women in here, only 13, if the numbers are give or take, have not seen it in their lifetime. 57% of pastors say that porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. Over half of those that deal with the idea of Christianity in their congregation say that that is the case. 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. And there's no doubt about it, pornography has. That's how powerful 
these images are that affect the mind of a human being. So I want us to, to not dwell on these stats because stats aside, all we have to do is look at the reality. And the reality is if we go back through history, most congregations, if everyone were to be completely transparent, completely honest, deals with pornography. Not just Franklin. Just about every church that you have ever visited, every church you've been to, at some point has dealt with it. So this is not unique. It is not a rare thing. But it is, as we were talking about some of the sermons in the last few months, things that are taboo. Things that we don't want to talk about. Things we sweep under a rug because, you know, it's kind of ugly to talk about these things. So, stats aside, we have to acknowledge the reality of pornography and how powerful and how affected we are by it. So here's the things that I want to say uh, generally in the, in the next couple of slides, and we'll finish off from there. The, the last slide is the most important slide, even if it's only one point. And so I'm going to deal with some preliminary fundamental things with regard to this. The idea of the power of pornography is in the image itself. Even in the research that I'm doing and, and studying on, you know, what drives the industry of pornography because it's a multi-billion dollar industry if i'm not mistaken it is like it is up there with the nfl in making money and that's just from this country let alone the world um, as far as pornography looking at images whether they be thoughts in our heads because of something that we've seen or something we conjure up in our mind whether it's through words, and that's where the idea of the or origin of pornography is, the written about or writings about the prostitutes. Whether they be photos or videos of others, whatever they may be, Jesus addresses this concept, right? When he says, you know, you've heard that it was said you, you shall not commit adultery. Matthew chapter 5, right? Verse 26, 27, 28. But I tell you, do not look upon a woman to lust after her. Because you've committed adultery in your heart. He's getting at, quote-unquote, the heart of the issue. Where's our hearts at? That's the real issue here, right? And so the idea of, of images causing us to have our minds stray is the focus. And when our minds are straying, it's because the heart leads us down that road. That's really what we're talking about here. And so whether it's going to be from... From the books that we read, the photos, the videos, whatever they may be, if we have eye string, it is because of, of our minds where we are. And I think I, I mentioned this to you, um, and I'll mention it one more time, but I remember specifically, um, and especially not a Christian. I'm 17 years old, I'm at Ka'anapali Beach, and there's girls walking in their, in their bikinis, and I got my shades on so they cannot see that I'm watching them because that's where my heart is, right? And so I share that because, you know, back then, I don't have a mind for the Lord. I would be very shocked to say if any man at any time, any woman at any time has never looked at someone else with their eyes and longed in, in a short way, even if it's nothing beyond more than just longing after with those eyes. It's an embarrassing thing to even admit because it makes you look less spiritually minded. 
It makes you look less Christian and what have you. These are things, and, and I think what we've done in our society, and particularly Western culture, Western hemisphere and culture, is everything is sexualized, everything. So that when we go to other countries and we deal with subject matters of, uh, of um, modest apparel and what have you, there's a very different view. Because in many other cultures, things, while it has been in modern sense sexualized, in many senses it's not, right? So you don't have, like now we can't even have mothers nursing their children without repercussions in our, in our own society because everything has become so sexualized. But that's because of these concepts of what's taking place in our modern culture. These images are changing and shaping our culture. How about this? Sometimes we will um, maybe to look at men, to look at women, go to internet dating sites. Now, I've never been to one. Um, I, I've never actually been to an internet dating site, so I don't know what what takes place, how you even get in, other than I think you have to pay money for it. That's the only thing I know. But that's what happens. And get this, because of these wandering eyes and the effects of pornography, here's something that is undoubted, no matter what statistic, no matter from what perspective I've read the statistics, this is generally true. 50, per, 50 plus percent of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. That's staggering. That's a huge, huge um, statistic. We talk about you know, finances, and we talk about the marriage bed as being thing, but part of that equation in our modern American culture is having to do with pornography. So that's the, the idea of what happens when there's straying eyes. These are some of the, the results that take place. And so I want you to look at this concept here. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26. In fact, the book of Proverbs are two different women. That's the, the, really what the book of Proverbs is about, right? Two metaphoric women. One woman is the wise woman that represents God's wisdom. And the other woman is every bit as cunning, every bit as wise, but for all the wrong reasons. And she, this woman, is referred to as a seductress. She is referred to as a harlot. And that's the Hebrew word for what we get in the Greek word for a prostitute. And so she brings in, through her charms, through her, her cunning ways, a person who is, well, a simple-minded man, according to the book of Proverbs. And so here's the proverb. Chapter 6, verse 26, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Wow, that's very telling. It's like crumbs before this person. And what's interesting is, um, and I'll share this with you as a, as a sidebar. I remember early, early um, in my marriage with Julie, she said, Mitch, you're absolutely naive. And I'm thinking... I was of the world, you were brought up in a Christian family, and you're calling me naive. She goes, yeah, you're, you're, you're naive in this way. Someone can, oh, what's the word? Make a pass, I don't know what the word is. Flirt, flirt. And you miss it, it goes over your head. Like you don't even see it. And I remember one day when it was quite obvious there was some flirting going on, and I went and immediately told her. I was getting my hair cut and some flirting. 
And I said, honey, I'm just letting you know. She goes, now you're seeing it, right? There's things that can happen if you are taken in by the charms of another person, whether it's male or female. Again, this woman is personified, or wisdom is personified in a bad way through this woman, this woman known as a harlot. But it could be just the opposite, a man doing it to a woman. And it's this concept of being taken in by someone through the flesh. And as a result, your life gets ruined. You come to nothing. So here's the thing that I want you to, to see. And these are just a very simple, very simple sermon to help us. And the main point is going to be on the next slide. But don't you see these, these passages for what they are? It's not that we haven't already read these passages. It's not that we don't know these passages. They're simple. But they're truths that need to be on the forefront of our minds. Because when they are, hopefully it, it will serve as a buffer for those temptations if temptations are in the form of pornography. The marriage bed is undefiled. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. The marriage bed. God made a man and a woman coming together in the confines of this beautiful arrangement of marriage. A beautiful thing. It's not ugly. And again, because I'm being discreet with my words, I'm having to ste step away from things that I really want to share from this standpoint. But parents, adults, marriage is beautiful. It's always beautiful. I don't care if your children say gross, mom and dad. It's beautiful. Marriage is beautiful. The marriage bed is beautiful. Remember the covenant that God has given to you. Right? Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4 even when he's talking about the difference between the old and new covenant, he uses the husband-wife relationship. And that's, it's beyond the scope of the immediate context. But get this. You've made a covenant to be joined to your spouse. And as a result, then, remember the wife of your youth. A number of passages that bring that point out. We all get older. We don't look as handsome. We don't look as pretty. But hopefully we've grown and matured and realized the beauty that is within a person and also realize that we're all sinners. And we, because of being sinners, have our flaws. And when we have our flaws, we begin to look uglier in each other's eyes. Or we can look past those flaws because we have them ourselves. And instead of casting that first stone, right, like the man that brought that woman caught in adultery, we can say, I have nothing to share. Because I'm a sinner too. And so go back. Why did you marry the person that you're married to? And I'm just speaking to the married right now. But why did you marry this person? There are things that you love about this individual. And so there are things that can be done if you're wanting to, to have, in some cases, maybe a rekindling of your wedding uh, vows and, and, the, and, the, and reflection upon why you got married in the first place, but remember the wife of your youth or the spouse of your youth. For the unmarried, because we're talking about secrets in a pornography. It's not limited just to the married, naturally. The whole concept here is of our individual walk with God, regardless of our age. And so even for like the unmarried, this is something that our culture, again, is not used to. And when we read 1 Corinthians 7, we gloss right over this passage. I want us to, to turn to this passage real quick. And again, the next slide is the one point I want to make, and I'm going to focus on those two passages that are on that slide. But I want you to see um, 1 Corinthians 7 for what it actually says. And again, it goes counterculture. 
for us. So let's see if we can catch up to the text. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, verse, verse 2, or verse 1 and then verse 2, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay? Talk about being discreet. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and, le- and let each woman have her own husband. The Apostle Paul did not say, don't get married if you don't love each other. He could have, but he didn't. He said, because of sexual morality. That's one of the big sins that was just read for us by a brother in the scripture reading before the sermon. Right? Sexual morality, impurity, and unrighteousness. Those are three things that were mentioned in Ephesians 5. And this is the concept. One of the major causes of our being impure before God is the idea of sexual immorality. And so what the apostle is saying is there's nothing wrong with two people coming together, but do it where it's honorable, where it reflects the image of God. And that's in marriage. And so if you're unmarried, now what we'll hear, and we even say this as Christians, that's the worst reason to get married. You may have said it. You may believe it. And here's an inspired man of God saying, because of sexual morality, that each person have their their own spouse. I think what we've done is we've romanticized relationships. We've romanticized marriage. And it's not that there aren't benefits to romance. They're there. But there is a base level of humanity within us. And marriage solves that so that we can procre- procreate, so that we can populate the earth. And sometimes we see things well past that because of our quote-unquote evolved society. And so what I'm saying is, sometimes we need to look, well, if I'm someone that struggles with sexual temptations, what can I do? You know, I can seek out a spouse. Hopefully with our modern cultural context, someone that you love that you can share your life with in this regard. But these are generic but fundamental teachings that are right there in Scripture for us. But that's not the most important thing. Here's the most important thing, and it's fundamental to all of the Bible. We're made in the image of God. Here's the irony of it all, and I've already, when, when I was dealing with the subject of idolatry about two or three months ago, I was mentioning the idea of idolatry because what we do is we bow down to these images, right? But what are we? We're images. And we're not dead, made-up, handmade images. We are living beings made in the image of God. That's who we are. That's what God made us. So in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I keep going back to this passage for many sermons because this is who we are. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, or according to our likeness. Well, what was that? Truth, peace, kindness, love, joy, all of these things that we see as evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives, Galatians chapter 5, verse Verses uh, 22 and 23 and 24. These are the things 
that reflect the image of God. When God made mankind, that's what his intention was, that we reflect the image of God in the way we live our lives. But because of sin, we've lost that image, and Jesus comes along and shows us what humanity is supposed to look like. And so those who come into this kingdom, we call the Lord's church, are individuals that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I want to reflect your image in my life the way Jesus said, I do your will. And of whom it is said of Jesus, you are the express image, the radiant glory of our God, he, the Hebrew writer says. And so if you want salvation from pornography, if you want salvation from any secret sin, and this is the answer to all the sermons that deal with any kind of sin, if you want salvation from whatever sin that, that weighs you down, you're going to have to set your mind on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that died for us, right? He died for our sins so that we can be freed from sin. But he did not only die for us. He set the standard of what it's like to be an image-bearing human being. And that is the reason why we go through our lives following in the footsteps of Jesus. And that's why we sing these songs about following in his footsteps. That's why we, we go through all that we can as Christians, holding each other's hands so that we can struggle through the difficulties of temptations that we are faced with so that we can walk with our God. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, last verse, that we are created in Christ Jesus for every good work. We are workmanships of God. We are a new creation in Christ. And as individuals who are Christians, knowing that every one of us in this room, every single one of us, not, there's not an exception, every one of us struggles with the flesh at some point, in some way. And it may not be from, from this vantage point of pornography. It may not be from an addiction standpoint. It can be from whatever standpoint, like self-righteousness. It can be from a standpoint of just, I don't know, pride, where the ego gets in our way. Whatever the situation is, we all struggle. We get, we get and fight with temptations and fight between the spirit and the flesh within us. But because we're made in the image of God, we continue to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So now what are you going to do if you're struggling with pornography? I can tell you what Jesus did when, when that woman was out there, right? John chapter 8. And people are ready to stone, uh, well, to test Jesus actually. But they're, they're going to stone her if, if they're going to fulfill the law because they're ready to cast stones. And Jesus says, anyone without sin, go ahead, cast that stone. And after a while, Jesus looks up, and not a single person was there to condemn her any longer. And Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? He said, Lord, they all left. He said, neither do I accuse you or condemn you. Go and sin no more. If you're struggling with this sin, 
even though it may be very difficult to do, the simple answer is stop. The hard answer is ask for help and ask for prayers by family, by friends, by your brothers and sisters in Christ that you can fight in. Otherwise, the problem won't go away. And I opened up with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I did not actually go to the text. But in that list of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, among them are those who live in sexual morality. And he says, and such will not inherit the kingdom of God. Think of your soul. Your soul is way too valuable, way too precious. God loves you so much. And what a loving and forgiving God we have. Just as this is a secret sin, you do not, and I mean this as sincerely as I can say it, you do not need to make a public, I'm struggling with this. Should you make it public, brethren, we ought not to do anything except to build up a brother or sister in Christ that would ever confess their sins to us. I want that to be absolutely clear. And so if you privately ask God to forgive you and you need help, seek it out. Your soul is way too precious. And if you struggle with any other sin outside of the idea of pornography, by all means, stop. Easier to be said than done, but that's, that's the answer that the scriptures give. Because your soul is one that you're trying to emulate Jesus and you cannot emulate Jesus when you have secret sins. And that's why Jesse led that song for us, Pure in Heart. That's what, that's what it's about, having a pure heart. Sometimes we miss the most basic fundamental sermons and lessons in life about where the heart is, but that's really what the answer is. And so I pray that that'll be the case. Here's some words to conjure up an image of what we ought to be like. We have these, this wonderful life and as we sing this invitation song, I want you to have that as your mantra going forward. Let that be the image, the image of Jesus Christ born in and through your life. But again, if you need our prayers, for you want to be a child of God. The image of the cross where Jesus dies so that we can live is there when you go into that watery grave. That watery grave where you are saying no longer my will, but your will be done. So I'm putting my life to death. I voluntarily do this because I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And as he rose from the dead, I'm going to be rise to walk in newness of life where all my sins are washed away. And so if you believe Jesus to be the Christ, willing to change your life for his, that's the idea of repentance, by the way, you can do that. That's your invitation. As together we stand and sing the song.